we look at the online world as a place where liberal democracies need a vision uh, for how the internet can be made compatible with democratic values. And for that, I think we need to articulate, measure, and then advocate for online spaces that support and do not destroy democracy. Geneva Peacecast, a series on solutions from Geneva Peace Week, produced by Interpeace and Fondation Hirondelle. Hello, I'm Jackie Dalton, and with me is Alex Krasodomsky-Jones. Alex works with the think tank Demos as its director for the Center for the Analysis of Social Media. Alex is calling for a collective principled vision for the web, without which, he says, democracy is at risk from those who would use the online world to control, manipulate and harm. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Jackie. Let's talk about power. One of the things that was meant to be beautiful about the web was that it provided this kind of open space for free expression, for sharing of knowledge, uh, for global connections and opportunities, but above all, a space which you know, by its very nature, by its design, was to be resistant to any kind of centralized control. And now I think more than ever, there is a battle over that space. So my first question to you is, who is fighting this battle and who's winning? It's a really good question. I think we only really have to look around uh, the internet uh, and the, the, the digital services that we use uh, every day to see who is winning. Um, it is the big corporations who have won, and that is Google, Facebook, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, all of these enormous US primarily technology companies um, who now provide the services that we rely on every day. Uh, now, I think that battle has been pretty one-sided for the best part of 20 years, perhaps. Uh, and now I think the time is, is, is coming where governments have decided that enough is enough. And that can look like a number of different things. Um, and the starkest example, I suppose, uh, are countries like Russia or countries like China, for whom uh, the state needs much, much greater power to control what is happening online, in line with their political philosophies. And, uh, and or perhaps it looks more like what we see in the UK and in the EU, where there is a much greater debate on how and why and where we should look to government to change things or steward things or regulate things about the internet to make them perhaps safer for us personally or for democracy and society more broadly. And I think it's fair to say that in the online world, there's a lot that's not going well. So the internet's become a tool for surveillance and oppression. It's become something of a vector for international geopolitical aims, whether that's trying to weaponize online spaces or spread disinformation. And cybercrime, meanwhile, is also growing fast. Everything from scams to recruitment of extremists, marketing of child sex sexual exploitation. Why do you think it's taken so long for us to respond to these threats? I think there's a lot of reasons uh, when we think about democracies, and perhaps even liberal democracies. I think I point to, well, certainly hubris in some ways. And by that, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't long ago that we looked at platforms like Facebook and like Twitter 
and thought, wow, you know, these might be the vanguard of liberal democracy. They might be the upholders, the defenders, the people capable of spreading democracy around the world. Um, suddenly we were sort of seeing what we thought was evidence. Uh, you know, a good example might be what happened in Tupperware Square. I, I joined Demos not long after um, the, uh, the Arab Spring, as it was called then. Um, and there was a lot of optimism, I think, for how social media platforms um, could act as voices for people who up until that point had not found a voice. And to some extent, that is still true. So I think we are sort of coming round now. We're in the middle of a backlash. Um, and having had at least 10, maybe even as many as 15 years of being actually quite happy with the way that the internet was going and, and, and perhaps turning a blind eye to the social and economic uh, and often personal harms that it was it was creating. I think one of the things that's really sort of getting in our way is we don't have a sort of collective language that says this is this is how we this is the kind of thing we ought to be aiming for. And the Good Web Project is arguing for liberal democracies to come together and try to agree on a set of principles, a set of vocabulary language that we can use to articulate what a better internet would look like. Because of course, not all liberal democracies agree and they don't even agree internally. So what Germany, what India, what the US want for the internet are all very, very different. And that causes challenge. And actually what democracies themselves think about questions of freedom of expression, these are difficult questions for, uh, for, for, for liberal democracies when they're thinking about intervening on questions around speech and citizens' behaviour and trying to balance freedoms from with freedoms to in a way that country, countries like China really don't have to worry about as much. So I think from what you just said, it sounds like this is a very uh, going to be a very complicated process with many different players, with very different views and different interests. So where do we start with all this? There are a lot of people doing a lot of thinking around this. I think, and you really, you know, given the scale of, of what we're talking about here, which is really, you know, the fabric of modern life in many ways, you can approach it from any number of different perspectives. I think there are very good arguments coming from the antitrust field, the competition field, looking at how you could use market forces to try to, to break up companies and to create more competition. Because at the moment, you know, we don't have any great competition for, for many of these services. You, 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 you largely have you know, a product of, of companies buying other smaller companies and trying to sort of maintain these monopolies over spaces like Google or like, like, like Facebook, um, like Amazon in, in the case of of cloud service provision. So I think there are there is perhaps an economics approach, but there are also many, many sort of smaller social approaches looking at people um, looking for small changes to, to the design of, say, online platforms, to the laws around data protection, to the laws around, uh, around certain kinds of speech. Um, really, there, there, there's any number of different approaches to how we might, might make these spaces better. Now, personally speaking, and the work that I really care about is around design. Um, look, we've known for thousands of years that the way that you design the spaces that people spend their lives in has a massive impact on the way that they live, 
and the way that they behave towards themselves and also to other people in those spaces. You might put street lights up at night um, to, to light the roads and, and thereby make them safer. You might design a um, you, you might design a housing estate or a shopping center in this way or in that way because you want to try to have certain uh, you know to make it safer or to make it um, more convivial or, or, or whatever. And so what I would like to, to, to see uh, is are effectively design codes research and evidence and then perhaps even regulation that says look this is a way in which you can build your platforms in order to reduce the amount of hateful content or the amount of abusive interactions between users or to better protect users from having uh, from being you know the victims of cybercrime or even a, a designer platform which doesn't rely on extracting our personal data in order to target us with advertising, there are better ways of doing things. They can be implemented at scale. In terms of misbehavior on online space, uh, it's not just criminals or authoritarian regimes or greedy corporations who are behaving badly on the internet. Also, individual citizens can cause a lot of harm, whether it's through trolling or spreading misinformation or with abusive behavior towards other users on, on social media and so on. And you have done research that shows that the design of online spaces is actually critical to the ways that users behave and that the same user might behave well in a well-designed space, but then badly in another one. So I'm just wondering, what is it you noticed about the different designs of those spaces uh, that resulted in these different kinds of behaviors? I imagine that we have all experienced uh you could say the best and the worst of the internet at various different points in our lives over the last 20 years. Um, sometimes you will be in, in a space and you think, wow, this is amazing. Perhaps you're on Wikipedia looking for information, or perhaps you're in a dedicated forum for, a, uh, for, for something that you care about and everybody else in that space also cares about it. And so you're there to discuss your hobbies or your interests or the sports team that you follow. Uh, and you can find that those spaces are really, really positive. At the same time, you can look elsewhere and find the, find places where those things don't exist. And actually, there is a tolerance for, um, for bad behavior or a tolerance for, um, for hate or, 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 or whatever. And I think that is, the, the, these things can, can exist often very, very close to one another. And I think you, we, we found in our research that, um, that a user in a space with, let's say, a culture of being polite and civil and with rules around the ways in which people talk and address one another, um, they tended to follow those rules and be perfectly civil. And when when you move to a place where, uh, where let's just call it uncivil or bad behaviour is permitted, well, then they perhaps are, are more able to participate in that as well, which to me says that we have a problem. Obviously, we have a problem with individuals, uh, but fundamentally, if you put people in situations where they are more likely to participate in some kind of bad behaviour, um, then they're going to do it. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we see this in the offline world as well. And so what I would hope is that we can look for ways in which uh, websites are able to set out changes to the way that they that they operate that minimize these things so I, I can give you some examples if you set out the rules very clearly at the beginning then uh people will tend to stick to them now 
you you might think that's obvious, but if you think about it, what what are the rules of Twitter? What are the rules of Facebook? I think the only rules I can think of are 40 pages of terms and services that everybody just clicks the button, yes, I agree, and then moves on with their life. And obviously Facebook and Twitter are such enormous spaces. How you participate, how you speak to your friends on Facebook will be very different to how you speak on a page or on a group and so on. Perhaps you need something different. Perhaps you need visual indicators for how good or how helpful or how participative a user has been in an online space. You might look at an example of a traditional web forum, or perhaps uh, uh, if you are into technology, a, web a website like Stack Overflow, where if you have been a helpful member of the community, you are indicated as such. Everybody knows that you are very helpful. And your, weight, your word then tends to carry a little bit more weight. You reward the people who participate well in a system, as well as punishing those who break the rules. And all of these little design changes are, have been tried in parts of the internet, but for the most part have not made the jump into these really enormous online spaces like the Facebooks, the Twitters. Um, of, of, and I think that's a real shame and something that I think I would hope to see addressed in the years ahead. And why is it, do you think, that some of these big players actually haven't started implementing these design approaches? I think the primary reason uh, why we don't see platforms taking on new, making these changes to their platforms uh, quicker is because ultimately they slow down the, the speed at which the platforms can grow. And really the design imperative, the reason why these platforms look the way they do is in order to allow people to join them and participate in them and be on them uh, and buy things through them as easily and as quickly as possible. Above anything else, there is a sort of, that, that is the, the, the motive for why Facebook looks the way it does, why Amazon looks the way it does, why that's perhaps even Twitter looks the way it does. Um, and I think what we are asking for is changes that make the process a little bit more difficult, perhaps a little bit slower, perhaps a little bit less attractive, perhaps you will spend less time on social media. And I think you know that is a direct challenge to the to, to the way that these corporations have run for, for, for the last 20 years. And that I think is why uptake has been slow. Can I ask you for one last thing uh, before we leave you? What are your three top recommendations for what needs to happen to make online spaces safer and healthier for societies? I think the first is that we cannot design purely for a profit motive. The reason that we have uh, the, the, the spaces online that we do at the moment is a factor of uh, major US corporations maximizing profit um, and uh, over anything else. And I think that needs to change and it will only change uh, when governments regulate corporations in that in, in that way. So I think that is the first. The second, I think, is to think micro. And if you if you are able to, uh, I would call on people to look for opportunities to participate participate in smaller, more local spaces. There is no. I, I, I see. I think there is a problem when a uh, white, rich, middle class male. Uh, Silicon Valley executive is designing the spaces for people in the DRC or in Poland or in Syria uh, or elsewhere in the world 
so I think look for opportunities to build and set up spaces that are uh, that are more close to home and better reflective of the cultures that that uh, uh, of the participants within them. And I suppose my third and, and, and final takeaway would be to those whose jobs it is to think about how you might regulate the internet. And what I would uh, what I would call for there is this focus on how do we compel platforms to be designed better. Look on the internet, look for the bits of the internet that you still think are, uh, are, are amazing because so much of the internet really is. I think, you know, Wikipedia is a, is a cliche example, but it is, you know, the eighth wonder of, of the world. Why is it that a space like that uh, can exist the way it does? And how do we take the lessons of spaces like Stack Overflow, like Wikipedia, like all of these perhaps smaller websites that still preserve really positive, powerful, community-led um, uh, spaces online, how do we take those lessons and apply them to the major platforms? I'm Jackie Delton from Fondation Hirondel, and I was talking to Alex Krasadomsky-Jones of Demos. Alex, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Geneva Peacecast, produced by Interpeace and Fondation Hirondel. <laughs>